Welcome to the e-commerce growth show brought to you by Segmentify, the fast, lean learning machine, the fastest learning, most revenue generating personalization platform for e-commerce. Welcome to the e-commerce growth show. Today is a super hot day. I'm still in lockdown, still standing in my five-year-old bedroom, looking at dinosaur stickers, looking at the blistering sunshine outside. Um, but it was interesting. I slept in the tent last night. Um, my two boys went around to their friend's house and got envy of uh, I don't know, a pool and a bar and a big tent. I said, Daddy, Daddy, you've got to get the tent up. So then that was my job. Came back, put a tent up. And then I had the whole rigmarole of them either wanting to sleep or not sleep in the tent because they're young and scared and then they were excited. Uh, anyway, finally I managed to get them to sleep and um, I didn't get a great sleep, but um, they did and they woke up in the morning in the sunlight and jumping around for joy. So it was it was pretty fun. Anyway, as you know, this channel is all about helping e-commerce retailers grow their revenue through various thought leaders. And also I've had the fantastic opportunity actually to support our e-commerce community during COVID um, by talking to people who are currently actively seeking their next opportunity. And that's the case for my next speaker, who is a lady called Rachel Pride. Now, Rachel is the ex-senior consultant at Practicology. So I thought that's going to be a very interesting chat. And Practicology, for those of you who don't know, is a kind of global e-commerce consultancy. So I'm really interested to hear what Rachel's got to say. She's originally from Michigan, so you'll probably hear a bit of an accent. Um, and she's been in London for 10 years now and is an e-commerce marketing specialist with not only her experience with practicology for the last um, four, or, four or so years, she's also been on the front line as well for a number of years, um, working uh, on both the kind of trading side uh, and on the marketing side. Um, I had to learn some stuff from Rachel about what all that stuff was, but basically, as you probably know, trading sides of merchandising, personalization, stuff like Segmentify, and then you've also got the marketing side, which is more the sort of paid media and so on. But uh, she's had some great experience um, with brands in luxury fashion, as well as high street retail, um, John Lewis and Dorothy Perkins, to name a few. Um, and CPGs, which is another thing I learned from her, consumer packaged goods, which is that everyday stuff that you walk up down the aisles of Tesco or whatever, the aisles and grab your tea bags or whatever. So, as I say, she transitioned into being consultant after that. So, some fantastic experience there. So, I'm really interested to talk to her. So, hi, Rachel. Hi, Phil. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. I'm very good. Enjoying, enjoying the weather, kind of ish. Um, and yourself, you're in London Bridge, right? Yes, I am. And how is it there at the moment? Um, yeah, it's great. Sunny. I've got a park just across from um, yeah. the window, so I get a good view. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, why don't you um, start by telling us um, how you or why you, even you transitioned from the front line to practicology? Um, well, I'd actually worked with a consultant at my last um, in-house job at Bellstaff. And yeah. I'd never really considered consultancies or had any experience with them previous to that. And mm -hmm. um, I was just really intrigued by her job, going into businesses and helping them mm -hmm. improve. Um, so rather than just working for one brand and doing doing your job, you get to go around mm -hmm. to different companies and work with lots of different people, meet new people and help them do their mm -hmm. jobs better, which just sounded like um, a really great opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. And how was it at Pratt's 
Was it fun? Yeah, it was great. Um, it's yeah. a really good group of people. Um, and had I had the opportunity to work with some great clients as well. So yeah, it was um, a great experience. Oh, I bet. Yeah, it sounds really good. Um, so we had a quick chat before this and you mentioned about the overarching sort of topic that you were interested in talking to the guys about was basically um, how COVID has given an opportunity for smaller D2C brands, challenger brands. So again, D2C, direct to consumer, that's for me to learn more than anybody else. Um, but how, how they can use this season to expand their offering. I don't want to say anything else because I'd, I'd love you to sort of expand on that to tell our, tell our listeners what you think is going on right now, how, they, how these kind of brands can maximize their opportunity. Yeah, I think um, obviously we knew we were going to see a lot of changes in the way that um, brands are selling to customers and the way that customers are interacting with brands as well. Um, and mm -hmm. it's been quite interesting to see how those changes unfold and which will stick and which won't. Um, I think, yeah, yeah, you said it's a great opportunity for new brands, smaller brands, challenger brands. And then mm -hmm. I've also seen a shift amongst some larger brands as well. Um, and I was mm -hmm. actually seeing one of those, which I'll get into a bit of detail later, that actually had me thinking about this um, in a bit sure. more detail because it was quite surprising. Um, I think a lot of times we sort of look at direct-to-consumer, having a direct-to-consumer channel as mm -hmm. working um I don't know if it's necessarily in opposition to having a marketplace or working with multi-channel retailers, but I feel like mm -hmm. it's they're unfairly pitted against each other a lot of times. And we hear how Amazon particularly um, is the future, it's taking over, and that's where brands need to really invest all of their time and money. And I'm not saying that that's sure. not true, but it doesn't have yeah. to be an either-or situation. Um, and it really yeah. depends on the brand. There's no yeah. one-size-fits-all strategy when it comes to that. Sure, sure. I mean, with the whole Amazon thing, I mean, uh, they take a lot, right? I mean, I don't know much about it, but all I ever heard was that you, you're far better off going direct than going through marketplace because they take a massive chunk of everything. Or is, am I totally wrong there? Um, not necessarily. It depends on how you're selling with Amazon. So there's right, um, multiple different setups that you can have based off oh, of how much you're selling and so forth. Um, you can handle yeah. um, the whole selling process yourself and run it through sure. Amazon. Or you can yeah. have it, what they call FBA, fulfilled by Amazon, where um, you where Amazon handles um, everything. So there's different ways to sell with Amazon, and I'm in no way an expert on marketplaces. Um, but yeah. those will have different. Um, they'll have they'll have a different um, amount of revenue um, and return based off of how you sell with them. So it really depends. I see. Now that makes sense. So yeah, you Karen, you're talking about reaching customers and stuff about raw mail and all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah, so like I said, there's there's not really a one-size-fits-all strategy when you're thinking about where you want to sell and if you want to expand into new channels, whether you're um, a brand that sells exclusively on marketplaces and you're considering mm -hmm. um, launching your own website, or mm -hmm. if you only have um, a D2C offering and you're considering maybe starting to sell on Amazon or working with another partner, um, it really depends on what's best for the business. It's about diversification and the best way to reach your customers. Um, and especially now and coming back to the situation with COVID, I found that mm. um, one impact that we've had with the pandemic mm. and the subsequent lockdown situation mm. that so many mm. of us find ourselves in, not only here in the mm. UK, but globally really, um, mm. is a limited access to physical stores. Um, and then a lot yeah. of online options are more limited as well. So. 
Um, people who would traditionally order their groceries online have had reduced delivery slots. Um, yeah. Availability on products on Amazon, for example, I think they've opened it up now, but um, mm-hmm. a few months ago, I know they were only selling items that were deemed essential. So there was limitations there and people were buying loads and hoarding and it was just um, a crazy time. Um, And through that, we've still seen, um, as what I've said before from the Royal Mail, they're reporting Mm -hmm. that 45% of adults are receiving more packages now than they Mm -hmm. usually do. So while we've heard a lot about people aren't spending more, um, which is true, yeah. a lot yeah. of their spend is now mm. going online because completely. there's no other alternative. Yeah, no, completely agree with you. In fact, I'm seeing that myself in my own house, like the, the packages have gone up coming through yeah. my door. Clearly, I'm not spending it, you know, it's the other half. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I am seeing them come through the door and I have to just button my button my lip, you know, so I just, you know, or is it bite your lip? I always get those wrong. Um, <laughs> so that they're going into the kitchen and, you know, I don't, I don't even want to see what it is because, you know, it's more money being spent but hey but uh, yeah completely they should you know we can't go and get the stuff on um you know at the, at the local shops or whatever and the funny thing you say about delivery exactly the same as well um we've got actually friends who have got almost like an undercover operation she'll get she'll get a whatsapp message going ping i've seen delivery slots at tesco right and everyone jumps on it and yeah. like, oh i've got a slot got a slot and um you know it's, we're trying to balance work life balance because she works two days a week and trying to get the shopping so that's that's I've seen both the exact things you just said come up, you know. So interesting to hear your thoughts on, you know, how to kind of optimize this situation in terms of those shifts, you know. Yeah, of course. I think when things like this happen, you don't really know how people will react. But now that it's been a few months mm. now, we're starting to see yeah. trends. Um, and yeah. I'm saying something, and you've had that same exact experience as well. So it's sort of exactly. um, community, yeah. Um, yeah, if you will. No, absolutely. Yeah. So, so it's obviously not new, as you say, D to C, um, direct to consumer, but these things have started to happen. So, I mean, what sort of shifts have you seen then in the light of now what's going on? Um, well, I've seen it on two different sides. Sure. Um, so... Traditionally, direct-to-consumer has been a core sales channel for things like fashion brands, high-street retail, and things like that, which obviously have been um, struggling and have been making news about it as well. Um, But it's other categories where it's actually been very successful, um, things where people traditionally wouldn't shop for those types of products um, on a direct-to-consumer channel. Um, We had examples from before COVID as well, so things like Harry's Razors, um, furniture from made.com, Loads of new mattress brands. I feel like they all came out around the same time, um, sort of mm. surpassing or surpassing the traditional channel and just selling um, directly to the customer. Um, but what I've seen um, in the past few months is the first thing is larger brands, mm-hmm. corporations selling their products um, mm-hmm. on their own website. So mm-hmm. Heinz, for example, launched a um, D2C channel in the UK. And then also yeah. smaller companies, challenger brands, which we mentioned earlier, yeah. taking advantage yeah. of the opportunity to, even if they were on DTC before, using the opportunity yeah. to yeah. increase their audience um, yeah. during this time where a lot of brands have actually pulled out of marketing, leaving room sure. for these smaller brands um, to get yeah. visibility. Sure. And how, how, would they, how do they go about doing that? 
Um, in which aspect? I think it, it depends so, on the brand. Yeah, I mean, obviously coming from not your world, if, if you like, you're saying that there are there's an opportunity right now, but how do you actually take advantage of that opportunity, if you like, from a layman's perspective? What should people be doing? So I think one thing they should be doing is if you're selling across different channels, so let's say you've got an Amazon business and you've got a DTC offering, which is um, quite small, or maybe you're selling... Um, and some other retailers and you've seen sales come down in those channels, it could be the time to take a look at your own um, DTC channel and look what you can do to improve conversion on site. And then also look at what you can do to drive traffic directly to your site rather than focusing any marketing on going to those other multi-channel retailers um, and other partners that you work with. Um, yeah. So now in terms of how to drive traffic, I think one of the trends that we've seen, which really makes it a good opportunity to push to your own site, is the drop in cost of media. So while a few larger brands have decided to um, maintain media spend or launch their own D2C sites because they're big enough to be able to launch in such a short space of time, um, a lot and overall ad spend has dropped which means that the cost of media has dropped. So a lot of these smaller brands who maybe have a small marketing budget, they couldn't really afford to um, compete. They now have a chance to get so many more eyes in front of their ads and introduce a lot more potential customers to their brand. Mm -hmm. um, sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. Very quickly on that, right? Why, it's a very stupid question, but why are larger brands, say, reducing their spend say like a made.com or something or the eve sleep the ones you i think we talked about earlier or you mentioned earlier are they are they are these big companies reducing their spend is there is there a reason for that um i don't know if those specific companies have reduced their yeah. spend um yeah. brands that have pulled back on spend are more of the large corporates so on yeah. a global scale those companies are still quite small it's the really big companies that have sort of put the brakes on ad spend or pulled back um, just because okay. a lot of times when you have larger corporations, they're very risk, risk adverse. And yeah, yeah, I see. That makes sense. I mean, you've got, you might have shareholders or you might just have general macroeconomic conditions, which are just basically saying, hold on, pull down the budgets, bosh, let's forget it. And interestingly, that's what I know we were talking about this earlier, but the guy, the guy I had on from Findlay Hats, the guy from um, Portland, I think, um, he was saying that he did that exactly that as a small D2C brand on a Shopify site who knew that when it became much more cost-effective in terms of getting your return back on your paid media spend, for example, that he basically cleaned up and became much, much more visible on all so many different terms that used it as a fantastic opportunity to, to build his brand. Is that is that the sort of thing that you're talking about in some respects. Exactly. That's exactly it. Awesome. And I've, I've seen it um, in the own ad, in the advertising that I've seen, um, whether that's on my Instagram feed or um, just seeing yeah. Google search ads and things like that. I've seen exactly mm -hmm. that shift. Wow. Um, the type and how of brand, that, sorry, sorry, carry on. I was saying that just the types of brands that I'm seeing are completely yeah. different to what I was seeing a few months ago. Yeah, that's very interesting. And so like we're saying, continuing to try and dig into it in terms of capturing this opportunity then what what are the you know what are the channels that that people should be 
really getting into you know in terms of is it instagram you know is it facebook is it link i mean you know what i was gonna say linkedin probably not but you know <laughs> it's more my world but you know wh- wh- how does somebody really kind of rinse if you forgive the term you know that whole idea I think it depends on what you're selling, but right. for a lot of brands, especially if we're mm. talking to D2C, um, and if they mm. are a challenger brand, most likely they have a story to tell. So going yeah. on Instagram, Facebook, um, is yeah. a way to really reach people. And now when yeah. people have more time, they're more relaxed, they're yeah. more in a mindset maybe to try something new or to pay more yeah. attention to an ad. It'd be really interesting to see yeah. um, mm. the benchmark stats on interactions with ads. Um, during this time to see if that actually is true. But it's something that I think um, people will be doing. It seems it's my prediction. So we'll we'll see if yeah. I'm right or wrong. But Well, absolutely. Uh, but, you, you know, as a, as a senior, yeah, I was going to say, as a senior consultant, uh, you know, at a, at a solid agency or consultancy, sorry, should I say, you know, I think it's great to hear this kind of thing because I think you're probably right. Um, I mean, again, going back to, as I say, it's great timing because I'm having a chat to, to Jimmy um, Finley, but he was saying exactly the same thing. He's got a really powerful story behind his brand. And of course, I've also spoken to other people in the kind of, um, what do they call it? Like influencer field or something like that. You know what yeah, they're, they're called? Exactly. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of influencer marketing where they're, where they're on Instagram and they're showing this story about, you know, the brand itself um, and engaging with people. And I think you're right. People are at home more. They're more bored, um, to be frank. Um, even my other half, you know, she works a couple of days a week um, and gets time to be bored, even with the kids and stuff. Um, and uh, so we, you know, we obviously have more chats, which is which is actually a positive <laughs> from that. But um, but on top of that, people, I think I went. I think we had a socially a social distance drink the other day. Um, with a couple of guys who are saying exactly the same thing. They're kind of sitting around and they're not that motivated. So what are they going to do? They are going to start looking at stuff more in a more detailed way. And stories are going to be more appealing. They're going to be more eyes on more screens, right? So exactly. it makes sense to, to maximize that. So certainly on the Instagram side, what are, the, what are the main sort of social channels that companies, brands, challenger brands in particular, would they typically use? I know you mentioned some of them would be more useful than others, but do you know what I mean? Name a few examples of, say, I don't know, like a, a bed brand versus a fashion brand. Where would they be going, you know? I mean, the core channel for social is going to be um, Facebook, which gives you access to Instagram okay. as well. So Facebook and Instagram. Right. Okay. Um, brands targeting younger customers. Previously, mm-hmm. um, we're looking at opportunities within Snapchat. Um, but I think now everyone's going towards TikTok. So, um, yeah. As advertising expands there, it's still quite a new social channel. Um, yeah. If you're if you're looking at Gen Z, for example, as your target audience, that's where they're yeah. going to be. Um, and then yeah. also Pinterest has advertising as well, but they're also mm-hmm. quite small. I've done a few um, test campaigns with them, yeah. um, with yeah. one of my clients at Practicology. And they yeah. do produce very beautiful ads. The ads are very nice, but yeah. you have to consider that it's a very specific audience going to Pinterest and they're going for a very specific yeah. reason. So yeah. people yeah. are planning parties, weddings, um, Christmas mm. lists of looking into the future um, and things yeah. like that yeah. happen on Pinterest. So just be very aware of yeah. why the user is on that specific channel. Is it their age? Is it what they're doing? Et cetera, et cetera. The most yeah. generic yeah. one would be yeah, um, Instagram. 
really, yeah. And in terms of getting bang for buck then, I mean, have you done much research or have you followed the trends about how much, how effective they are basically? I mean, how effective TikTok is or Snapchat is always, you know, is it growing? Is it, you know, um, is it looking like promising for the future or is it already here? I mean, how, how is it all looking at the moment, the landscape in that, in that world? I think the way that we look at social has to be very, um, it's not an exact science in terms of knowing exactly what you're getting back for it, even though it's a paid ad, it's tracked. Um, People generally will take, depending on what industry you're in, um, it could take two weeks before they make a purchase from seeing the ad, or it could be because they've seen the ad on Instagram in combination with then seeing a display ad somewhere else or seeing an influencer post or yeah. seeing a YouTube video. It's, it's all a combination of different channels working together. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, but they do, they do work. Do they? I mean, you do get, you know, from your experience, you know, that by spending money in, I suppose if you get your research, right, you know, with a consultancy, like, like, like Practicology or an expert like yourself, you would know what to where to put the money to probably get the most return on spend, right? Um, yeah, exactly. So yeah. you have to plan out what other channels you're going to be in, what you expect the customer journey to be, um, and look at returns that way. And then also what type of advertising are you doing? If you're advertising mm-hmm. on social to people who've already been to your site, then your yeah. ROI is going to be a lot higher because you're presenting a second or third touch point to someone who's already been to your site. Whereas if you're using yeah. social as a way to recruit new customers, which I think is a great use for the channel, um, yeah. you're not going to see as high of an ROI on that. Yeah, um, that makes sense. But it doesn't mean that you're not gaining sales. Maybe you'll see um, yeah. the return yeah. go up on your Google search ads, yeah. for example, or maybe Absolutely. more people will click yeah. through direct. But it's yeah. because sure. you had that ad somewhere else. Yeah. I suppose it's like indirect. You can't measure everything, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of attribution and and all of that. Yeah. No, completely. Um, But it sounds like you're saying that during this time, it's not necessarily a time to bat down the hatches if you're a smaller challenger brand. Actually, quite the opposite. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's a time where you can get the customer's attention, both from Mm. their side, having Mm. um, potentially more time or looking for something different or to an an alternative to what they normally would do um, in their normal life. Um, So it's an opportunity from the customer side. And then also from Mm. a spend perspective, you can reach more people. It's a great opportunity to maintain the budget you would have normally spent and reach a lot more people, maybe test something that you couldn't afford, couldn't have afforded to test previously. No, no, that's what I was going to say that the whole, what comes up as a, as a concur, as a, as a a regular sort of theme is the test and measure perspective that you're you don't go full on you know you you you, you've got an opportunity here to spend a bit of money on it within within reason and see if you can get a return which would possibly be more value now than it would be before exactly yeah yeah well let me just go on to another question which we talked about earlier which is that you were saying that you know um challenger brands um, in general, what what is the extra value? You know, you tell the guys what the extra value is effectively um, that they're providing the consumer. You know, why, how, how and this is, actually comes up quite a bit in other chats as well, the whole idea of how 
the big beasts like Amazon or we were talking about Flipkart or or eBay or whatever it might be are or the big grocery stores and stuff, um, you know, are kind of taken over if you like, right? Um, but so so on that note, what what do you think that they bring the consumer over and above this? Just go to Amazon, get it. Yeah, so obviously Amazon is growing. I'm not going to deny that. And I think it can yeah. be a good channel for these challenger mm-hmm. brands to go go into, but yeah. not at, but they sh- also shouldn't dismiss selling directly to the customer. I think a lot of times what I've seen uh-huh. is that they're providing something that the big brands, the traditional brands, the brands that have been around for a long time don't offer um, and something mm-hmm. that the customer is looking for, but just can't find and Recently, I yeah. found that that is actually sustainability. A lot of these newer D2C mm. brands are actually offering mm. um, sustain- sustainable products. Um, and it's everyday yeah. things that we would use. Um, I've been mm. advertised everything from deodorant to dishwasher mm. tablets, mm. Um, mm. even toilet paper made from bamboo, like all sorts of things yeah. that yeah. you can't necessarily find on Amazon mm. or yeah. in your yeah. weekly shop with mm. Tesco, for example. Um, and people now have time to, who could have considered wanting these things or said, oh, I really should yeah. switch to a more sustainable whatever, um, but yeah. they didn't have time to find it. They didn't have fi- time to yeah. to realize, okay, this is the brand I want to go for. This is what I want to try. Yeah. And I think as mm. we've all sort of slowed down a little bit, um, yeah. there's, there's room to yeah. do that. That is really interesting. Um, capitalizing on the extra time effectively. Um, I'm just thinking about it myself. What about you know, like so you talk about sustainability, for example. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I expect there are other things, if you like, as well, um, that would make it unique for somebody to discover, if you like, with a brand as opposed to just going to Amazon. Do you, do you know from your research, from the consultative perspective, that things like sustainably and or other things, which kind of I don't know, but I'm assuming are out there. Are they growing? Like, I mean, is is it only COVID that has allowed that? Or have they generally slowly been growing and COVID's gonna give an opportunity to potentially grow a little bit faster during the season? No, I think these things have always been considered, especially when we speak about sustainability. Mm-hmm. I think over the past mm-hmm. year or so, mm-hmm. um, customer awareness of mm-hmm. um sustainable options what's really in the products that they're using um and those types of things the customers should become a lot more conscious um and so they're looking for alternatives and there aren't always alternatives there and Mm. that out of that has birthed a lot of these smaller brands um offering a sustainable alternative but because they're so small and these are products that are coming from huge corporations it's really hard to compete Sure. Um, so without all of the yeah. noise, this is a really good time for brands like that to mm. um, expand their their customer base. Very interesting. Kind kind of a almost a, maybe even a philosophical question, right? What is driving that? Do you think? Um, the push towards sustainability. Yeah. Why do people care now more than they might have? What What, what have you seen? Why Why do you think Why do you think people are caring more about what's in stuff and all the rest of it? I think there's just been so much noise about climate change, really, and yeah, the yeah. impact that the things that we use in our daily lives and have done for decades now and the impact that mm. it's had on the planet. 
Um, And a lot of people are looking to make a change, but when you've lived a certain way for so long, you're kind of stuck. You don't know what to change, how to change it, what will make the greatest impact. Um, And the more that it's been in the news, um, the more brands have gone to to try to make changes. And so it's going green is quite um, a buzzy term these days, I think. And it's not just the smaller brands that have started this way. You're also seeing a lot of larger companies try to pay more attention to that as well. I think you see that really um, in the fashion industry too, because it's one of, yeah. one of the most polluting industries. Yeah, so there's been a lot of pushback yeah. and a lot of companies have been looking yeah. at how can we um, yeah. change our practices to, to make them yeah. better for the planet. Yeah, very interesting. And do you think it's generational? Do you think the younger generations that are growing up are driving this harder? Or do you think it's generic across the board? Um, I think they're leading it, but I don't think they're alone. Um, I think that you've got older generations as well that are seeing this and and responding. But um, I do think there is a lot of power in in this youngest generation coming up now. Um, They seem to be be the loudest for sure. I think we've known about these things for quite a long time, but it seems that only in the past few years that a lot of action has been taking place. So. Yeah, no, it's interesting. They're they're bringing. No, completely. Yeah, I, I only ask because from my own experience, you know, being totally honest, I suppose it's kind of secondary. I, I'm still one of these people, probably be driven largely by price, and it just so happened that I think I told this story, not necessarily story, but this this thing on another podcast where I went and got some Gumby's flip flops because you know they were they gave me a great experience on the website actually same price as amazon so i didn't care i think they gave me another 10 percent off by being on the website so it's classic d2c experience actually which i which made me a gumby's fan you know going direct to them i would never go anywhere else for them um but it was secondary to me that they just so happen to be sustainable as well right they make it out of recycled rubber and stuff like that and i was like oh nice one mate but that wouldn't have been the driver for me you know but i'm it i i, I personally think it's great in other areas like you know I, I noticed with my two kids and, the, and on my other half um, how much plastic we get through. You know, for example, we quite like sparkling water, right? Yeah. From Tesco, you whatever, right? Pretty cheap. In fact, it's dirt cheap. And the yeah. amount of plastic bottles that you get through if you buy 10 of them in a week and then you drink that instead of your, 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 you know, your tap water. And I'm looking at the recycling thinking, yeah. bloody hell, man, this is bad. And so actually, even me, I'm saying really, you know, um, is kind of looking at that thinking, do you know what? And I turned around to Michelle and I said, do you know what? Don't get so many of them. I'm going to drink, I'm going to drink water from tap more often because that's just a joke, you know? Yeah. So I think you're right. This is permeating through more and more as I think more exposure is increasing with it for sure. Yeah. I had the exact same yeah. issue in my house as well with the sparkling water. And you're right. You can get it so cheap yeah. in those really big, and it's like two yeah. liter bottles. So yeah. I ended up getting yeah. a soda stream actually. Did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Great. Well. You can have as much as you want. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good no idea. Is it is it um is it a lot more expensive to do that way or is it um, not too bad? No, I think if you drink it regularly, the price will net out. Um Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you you it's a one time purchase and then you have to buy the canisters. But I mean I haven't actually yeah. done the, the math on it, but I imagine because you keep using it. Um, the more you use it, the more the price per, I guess, yeah. of sparkling water would then go down. No, no, you're right. You're right. Um, I might look into that, you know. I used to do it actually when I was a kid. 
when my stepmom or something, she had she had one in the kitchen. Remember that? Oh, really? I might go, yeah, yeah, I might go back to it. It's a good idea. It's a very good idea. Um, so just, um, I, I'm hoping that I'm not repeating my question here, but um, what about advantages then for brands with direct-to-consumer um, channel? Um, um, yeah, go for it. Yeah, we talked about some of them, but something else, and I think you yeah. touched on this when you were talking about, sure. uh, was it Gumby's, the brand for the football? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It, yeah. You're now a Gumby's customer for life. 100%. really like that experience. It's the customer yeah. loyalty that you yeah. don't get when you're one of however many yeah. thousand flip-flops on Amazon and someone yeah. just buys yeah, completely. one that wins the buy box at the top, you know? Um, yeah. They were really able to to touch you in a way and you now like the brand. And that's something that you yeah. don't necessarily get unless you're yeah. interacting, interacting directly with the consumer on your own channel. Um, yeah. And then you also get the customer data as well. So... Mm. The brand now knows who you are as a customer. Yeah. They know what you've bought. Um, yeah. If they have a new product they think you'll, you'll like, they can send mm -hmm. you an email about it. Um, yeah. And they have you in their base. They know what you looked at on the site. Um, mm -hmm. And they have full control and analytics mm -hmm. on that journey. So yeah. that is not something to, to be dismissed at all. And I think it's something no. that... Um, a lot of brands do feel that they're lacking um, when they're only selling through other channels. Um, yeah. So it's definitely yeah, a big learning, and you that can't that's not only used for the advantage of increasing mm -hmm. sales on your D 2 C channel, but you can also take those learnings to mm -hmm. help you sell more through Amazon, through other marketplaces, through yeah. um, multi-channel yeah. retailers. So it's a yeah. really good thing to have all around, even if it's not your key channel. No, I totally agree. And that's where, interestingly, Segmentify comes in because we try and help those D2C brands to you know, optimize on the conversion of that traffic that does get to their, their D2C website or whatever. Um, and then obviously gather that data um, to be able to then drive the email campaigns, the push campaigns, on-site search, product recommendations, um, just to basically say, look, if, if you've got that traffic to your website, however you've managed to invest in doing that, then you need to be investing in the tech that helps you to make sure that you're giving them a fantastic experience when on the site. Um, particularly, obviously, not like a Gumby situation, clearly. You know, you, you, you don't have enough products to have to worry about it effectively because um, you're probably going there to get one of five flip-flops, right? Yeah. But if you're a bigger brand with a much bigger product set and you've got a lot of merchandising kind of noise, if you like, and you need to know what to be showing what people at the right time, um, then it's massively important to get that right. Um, so um, no, I completely, I completely see that. If you and, and and that then feeds into that customer lifetime value retention piece, brand experience um, that you're talking about because you don't want to waste that, do you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, listen, that was really, really cool. Um, could you just um, tell the guys? Obviously, you know, one of the reasons why we do this channel, um, particularly at the moment, is to just really raise some exposure for great, um, great guy, guys and girls like you, Rachel. Um, just to really give you a bit of exposure and, you know, to, to ask the guys, look, if, if anybody is actually, um, you know, looking for somebody at the moment that's got Rachel's experience or knows of somebody in the network, yeah, we'd love uh, to get in touch with Rachel. Um, could you just tell us, Rachel, the best way to get hold of you? Um, yeah, so um, you can send me a note on LinkedIn mm -hmm. um, or you can reach me by email as well. Fantastic. So you've got Rachel Pride, so it's P-R-Y-D-E, right? Yes. 
Awesome. Okay. And your email is R-A-P-R-Y-D-E at gmail.com. Yes. Okay. Awesome. So that's it, guys. So you can search Rachel Pride or R-A-P-R-Y-D-E at gmail.com. Um, so just to finish off, Rachel, um, keen to ask on behalf of everybody, if there's like one key thing that you'd love them to take away from this chat, what would it be? I think it's um, just that there's always customers out there who want to have that experience with the brand and mm-hmm. D2C is really the channel that, that can do it. I think your, your comment yeah. on the, the flip-flops that we were speaking about before really yeah. sums it up. Um, yeah. Brands should always seek to give their customers a bit of joy when they shop and there's something that, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. meant to be said for that. Um, yeah. And yeah, marketing just really should be about the customer. Um, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. That's that's fantastic. Well, I was going to say that was a, a really great chat. I love talking to you, um, and I hope everyone um, enjoyed listening. Um, I, I I love the fact, really, at the end of the day, we're talking about taking a difficult scenario that we're in right now, but for a challenger brand, a smaller D 2 C brand, to really sort of embrace the situation and actually um, use it potentially to their advantage, or at least test and measure that to see um, if they can get actually a positive situation out of of this current situation. Just remains for me to say that uh, you you guys know that we have the e-commerce growth show channel on the website, uh, segmentify.com forward slash podcast. Um, you're welcome to register on that anytime. Um, if you haven't done so already, you'll get access to obviously Rachel's podcast, all the other previous ones and future ones as well, as soon as they come out. And obviously at the moment we're trying to support people. Um, so the more that you guys can get behind this and uh, sign up to receive them, the better, because then you can obviously help us to, to spread the word about these guys and also get hold of the sort of thought leadership that, that everybody is talking about. Um, also, if you've got any questions in particular about subjects or topics that you want us to try and cover, um, I know there's a lot of experts out there, um, then do let us know. Uh, if you want to be involved also as well, or you have general questions, do please email me at phil at And uh, as I say, have a wonderful day, everybody, or whatever you're doing. And um, stay safe, stay strong, and we look forward to speaking to you again. And thank you so much again, Rachel. All right, thank you. Put us to the test and let us prove we can drive more revenue for you. Sign up for a completely free proof of concept or split test against your current provider. Set up and optimized by our team within a few days at segmentify.com slash demo.